Hello and welcome to Down to Earth, our brand new podcast at Hubbub. I'm Sarah Dival and over the next six episodes, I'll be passing the mic to grassroots activists, communities and people that are working hard and making big changes for their neighbours and for the planet. Each episode will share a different story from a different voice from around the UK and tell us about the unique ways they're working on improving social and environmental issues where they live. We're going to meet the community leaders who are planting edible forests on rooftops, increasing representation in cycling and redistributing surplus food to their neighbours. Everyday people doing extraordinary things, showing how people and places can work together to inspire more sustainable ways of living. In our very first episode, we're going to be investigating the issue of e-waste, which is the fastest growing waste stream in the world, generating 50 million metric tons a year, and how we can protect the environment by donating our secondhand tech to connect communities. Actually, not letting me press record. No, I am recording now. I'm recording. You're all online. Over the pandemic, we've all had to become more accustomed to going about day-to-day life in an ever more digital way. How's everyone doing? Yeah. I've done a cold. I got rained on on the way in. Even here at Hubbub, where we have numerous meetings remotely every week, we find ourselves struggling with the simple things. Is my internet really bad? Because I keep getting things that say your Wi-Fi is so bad. Like, But imagine if you didn't have access to the internet or a smartphone. The reality is significantly different. Applying for jobs, catching up with family, learning something new and accessing your money are all things that most of us do nowadays using our phones or laptops. Was it hard to find Somerset House? It was actually pretty easy because I used uh, Google Maps and, yeah, I got here. But in the UK, there are 7 million people who don't have access to the internet and lockdown presented new and pressing challenges for keeping up with school, staying connected with loved ones and keeping safe. I don't think I could do anything without Google Maps. I know, right? In a twist of fate, as I started researching this podcast on digital isolation and thinking about what life would be like without a smartphone, I dropped mine on a tile floor and smashed the screen. It was a few days before I could get an appointment to fix it. And over that time, I couldn't keep up with my friends, had to borrow a phone to take work calls and had to delay paying my rent as I couldn't get onto my online banking. Oh my God, do you not have a spare one? No, I don't have a spare one. I've got nothing. And also I break my phones all the time. So my house Luckily, I live in a house with Wi-Fi. I have a laptop I can work on. I live with people who have phones I can borrow and I could afford to get the screen fixed pretty quickly. For households around the UK who don't have access to a smartphone or the internet, it means they're more likely to fall behind on bills, struggle to keep up with schoolwork and be unable to access the services they're entitled to, as well as things that might make their life more manageable, like grocery shopping or banking online. Like, I'm speaking to you guys now from Israel, and it's, you know... It is magic. It is magic. Digital isolation doesn't just mean people don't have a phone or a laptop. They might have a phone but be reliant on expensive pay-as-you-go data or be unable to afford the setup cost for monthly Wi-Fi payments. There's also an issue of digital skills. Even if a person has access to the internet, they might not have the skills they need to get online. I've got like a chat with just myself, which I use as a notepad, and then it'll just be on my phone, like shopping lists and stuff like that. 
This was an issue long before the UK went into a lockdown. But this year showed just how deep the divide of digital isolation is and proves that access to the internet and smartphones aren't a luxury but vital to being able to work, learn and thrive in a modern society. All of the things that we can do with technology. I know. <laughs> Coupled with this issue of digital isolation is the problem of e-waste. For every one phone in use in the UK, there are four sitting dusty and unused in the back of drawers, in cupboards and under beds. This is just a cupboard for old phones and mystery cables for old chargers that don't work but don't get thrown away. Yeah, I definitely have a drawer like that. Right now, only 20% of electronic waste is recycled and a lot of phones will eventually be thrown in the bin, even though they're working fine. For over a year now at Hubbub, we've been working on an initiative called Community Calling, which sees members of the public, like you guys, donate old phones, which are then redistributed through these amazing community projects to people who are digitally isolated. It's a great way to keep these precious and potentially toxic bits of tech out of landfill and put them in the hands of people who can use them. Yeah, because I've tried to trade in my old iPhone when I bought a new one. So I scheduled a Zoom call with one such community group to hear firsthand how vulnerable Londoners were being helped to get online, upskilled and empowered. And did you recycle it, Susha? No, I actually donated it through community calling instead because <laughs> it still worked. Amazing. Yeah, big up community calling. Hello, Moto. Are you ready? Hello. This is Paul. And that's a lesson. Oh, yeah, I didn't have it to my ear for some bizarre reason. Paul used to live abroad in Thailand, but after coming back to the UK in 2020, he ran into some difficulties and became homeless. After a short period on the streets, he was approached by Thamesreach, which is a London-based charity working to end street homelessness, who have been handing out phones through community calling. Are you recording? Yeah, I'm just going to double-check, but I think we're all good to go. Paul took some time to share with us on his new device what it was like to suddenly find himself back in the UK after 10 years abroad with no-one to turn to for support. That's absolutely no problem at all. The only other thing I've got on the agenda is a dentist appointment, so this is a way of delaying going to the dentist, so you're actually doing me quite a favour, actually. <laughs> I've never been homeless, I've never been out of work or anything like that. And to be coming into that situation, I think that the most scary thing about it is not knowing how to be homeless, like not knowing where you can go for help. When I came back, the first lockdown was just starting to be eased, so there were no internet shops open. And, you know, not having a digital device really, really did hamper me, not just practically, but also in terms of really how you feel and feeling helpless and hopeless. Even if it wasn't a digital device, even if it was just an analogue phone, that would have made a huge difference. Paul's story, whilst unique to him, is more common than we might think. People across the country are falling on hard times, especially during the pandemic and finding themselves unable to afford the basics, let alone expensive technology such as digital devices and Wi-Fi. I asked Alessi why people were being increasingly left out from access to essential services, how widespread the issue is and how it affects individuals. How extensive that problem is across the UK and how many people are facing digital isolation. 
So I think it's an enormous problem. Nine million people in the UK can't use digital technology unaided. It's something that lockdown has taught us. It's really shone a light on the digital divide. I think it might have been the case that pre-COVID, people were just about able to get by without having internet. They could get access and support at local community venues. Once they've been forced to shut or have restricted access, then that's created a real problem for lots of people, certainly people we support. And I think it locks you out of many important parts of modern life. You can't access services, you can't access information or appointments, you can't communicate with friends, you can't access meaningful activities, you can't buy stuff online. So all these things, I think, have been a lifeline for us while we've been isolating. But if you haven't got that, that's a real problem. There's often a ricochet effect to not being able to get online. In not being able to tackle one issue to start with, it's easy for things to snowball, leaving people increasingly isolated and in need of additional help. A reality that Paul found himself faced with on the streets in England. Nothing really happens until someone comes out and actually sees you rough sleeping. And then they register you and so on. And again, I I was very fortunate. I was moved into a hotel where I stayed for three months and then I was helped out very much so by Thames Reach. And in terms of the device, they provided me with a a digital device as well, a smartphone. Initially, I was given an analogue phone, which, of course, you know, that was better than nothing, that enabled people to keep in touch with me. But having a digital device is, it's really chalk and cheese. It really is a massive, massive difference because the analogue phone I had had no internet capability at all. And how does this programme actually work? So how do people get hold of these phones? We've been primarily giving those to clients in the homelessness pathway, so people in night shelters, hostels, B&Bs, people who are accessing day centres. And that's because they are spending a lot of time indoors and there's kind of an opportunity cost. If we can get a device into their hands, they can be doing some meaningful activities. And, of course, that's why we want to kind of weave in basic skills like language into our provision because that obviously leads to choice, to confidence, to independence, to well-being and those are all really, really important things. Having a device where I can really keep on top of things and it makes it so much easier to interact with people. Now if I get an email or I need to log into my universal credit journal, I can do it there and then. I don't have to find someone who will let me use their laptop for 10 minutes. And it's just made everything so much more, I'm not going to say easy, but so much less difficult is probably the way I would put it. But, as Alessi mentioned, getting devices to vulnerable people is only one element in the solution to helping them get online and accessing essential services. So you were mentioning training and people not having skills, and is that something that you guys or that Community Calling provides? It's a bit of both. So I think as Community Calling has kind of partnered with the Triborough, the clients who receive phones are able to access employment initiatives under this. But additionally, every person we support has a caseworker or a support worker, and we can support them with what we call ETE. So that's employment, training and education. And of course, ultimately, what we want to do is get people housed. And really, there's only two ways of doing that. It's either getting people onto benefits. And at the moment, If you're going on to benefits, you're going to likely be going on to universal credit, which is digital by default. So you need digital skills for that or you need to be in work. So you need a phone for both of those things. It is not possible to manage your benefits 
and get a job when places you might have gone to to access the internet are no longer there. So getting phones into people's hands has been a really, really important part of our bigger goal of getting people into accommodation. I use my phone on a daily basis, firstly really for keeping in touch with what's going on with my universal credit because they usually, 99% of the time, when there's an entry on your journal or they require something from you, they send you a text message. But that's not always the case. Last week, I had an entry on my journal that I needed to upload proof of housing costs. And I was basically given three days to do it. So again, if I hadn't been up to date on checking my journal every single day, I probably would have missed that deadline. Once someone is able to get online and they're able to use a device, the scope for the improvement in their day-to-day lives is quick and can have a big impact. I asked Alessi to share some of the positive outcomes for the people who had received a phone. So there's been certainly the sort of social dimension, people being able to reconnect with family and friends. We've had people who've got most of their contacts overseas. That's been incredibly important for their self-esteem and their mental health. Secondly, supporting people to access training. Many of our clients have English as a second language, so enabling them to join conversation clubs on Zoom or to attend English language courses, that's been incredibly useful. And further, people have moved into vocational training online, so we've had people able to complete the theoretical parts of tests. um, I'm currently looking for a job in the social care sector that's really very much an area that I'm very interested in working in and it's really enabled me to not only research jobs but also looking for training courses as well because I think I am partially hampered by not having experience in that sector. It's quite a revelation for me that there are so many training courses that can be done on my device and free of charge and they lead to a recognised qualification, which is really, really going to help in me getting a job. We've had clients able to submit CVs, take calls from employers, and even last week we had a client complete a Zoom interview with PrEP via their device, and because of that they will be starting work in the next couple of weeks, which is an enormous achievement and something we hope to replicate across other people we support. It also makes me a lot more positive, because if I didn't have this device, I'd probably be sitting at home, twiddling my thumbs, and going nowhere, really. So it's really made quite a difference for me being able to plan for the future. That's very much something that I can do now that I couldn't do before. Yeah, and it feels really like that's what this scheme boils down to is giving people choice independence dignity mm-hmm. and helping people kind of carve out a path for themselves and lead independent lives yeah absolutely I think being able to access services being able to do meaningful activities being able to have a hobby being able to feel included being able to use technology in a way that helps you navigate the world I think all those things are really really important to independence and to root out of homelessness. Sorry about that. Hang on. Hang on. Sorry about that. Isn't that really strange? That's an email from my friend in Bangkok. How about that? We were just talking about it. And there you go. There you go. You're listening to Down to Earth, a podcast from Hubbub. If you have a working phone tucked in a drawer or getting dusty in a box somewhere, you could make a real difference to people like Paul and help protect the environment by donating your old device. 
you need to do is order a free post envelope from Community Calling or on our website, www.hubbub.org.uk forward slash community calling and pop it in a post box. Your device will then get wiped, refurbished and sent on to people across the UK through community groups like Thames Reach. At the time of recording this, the UK is still under COVID-19 restrictions and the pandemic has magnified the long-standing inequalities that many people face. The last year has disproportionately affected the already disadvantaged and 700,000 people have been driven into poverty by the COVID crisis. Digital isolation is part of a larger issue for communities facing the impacts of racial inequality, poor housing and lack of access to green spaces. I think what lockdowns really brought home for a lot of us and for the people in charge is the scale of the problem and how big an impact not having access to the internet can have on people's lives. It's been a really tough year for lots of families across the UK, but the increased awareness of digital isolation means that everyone from the Daily Mail to MPs are talking about it. As a consequence, it's also becoming a really pressing issue for local governments and community groups who can no longer ignore the needs in their neighbourhoods. People are starting to recognise that there's an opportunity for old phones and laptops to tackle both the issues of environmental waste and digital isolation. You might be surprised to hear that recycling one million laptops would save the same equivalent energy needed to power more than 10,000 UK homes for a year, as well as providing much needed devices for people who need them. I was curious to find out how community-led initiatives like this operated. So I checked in with a project in South London, which saw government and neighbourhood groups working together to get devices into local homes. Okay, my name's Siobhan McDonough and I'm the Labour MP for Mitcham and Morden. Uh, MPs like Siobhan have been particularly concerned throughout lockdown about the amount of school children in the UK who haven't had internet access or a device at home. Greatest constituency in the world and the one where I was born and brought up and I've had the privilege to represent for the last 23 years. A few of my friends live in Morden, so I've visited many times. It's it's a lovely place. When the first lockdown hit the UK, Siobhan was contacted by a care worker who asked how the local children were going to be expected to carry on with remote education if they didn't have access or connectivity in their homes. Contacting more schools and families in her constituency, Siobhan quickly realised that the problem was far more widespread than they'd initially anticipated. There are about 880,000 households where the children only have internet access through a mobile. And what we'll all know is just how expensive that can be. Because one of the things I learned from being involved in this and I should have known it all along, is that the poorer you are, the less likely you are to have a contract, the more likely you are to be on pay as you go. We found that parents were trying to access the government's online school, Oak National Academy, on pay as you go, and it was costing them £37 a day. Wow. 
Children on free school meals did on average one hour of schoolwork a day during lockdown. And a big part of that is because kids didn't have access to the devices that they needed to keep up with their classmates. Something which isn't going to change just because normal school is back in session. And we know that this isn't just an issue for school kids, but something which can affect lots of people at different stages of their lives and have significant impacts. All of which makes trying to recover, refurbish and redistribute as much tech as possible a no-brainer. What came next was a scheme called Get Kids Connected, an initiative whose aim was to try and get as many children online and back to learning as possible. The collaboration between local charities, big businesses, schools and even the local football club initially secured hundreds of devices filled with data to help support students throughout lockdown and grew as time went on. So they get people to donate their old devices, they clean them, make them available for use to children and deliver them to schools. They're now over 3,000 devices that they've developed. So it's been an idea that's grown and there are organisations all over the country doing this. So it doesn't just help the children it involved, but it develops a sense of community, a sense of purpose. But the purpose is bigger, I would say, than all these really brilliant people involved in it. They're doing the icing but there is still a need for the cake and that cake needs to be provided by the government. Initiatives like the one in Siobhan's constituency are encouraging, but MPs want to make digital isolation a national issue. The Department of Education have given out about one million devices to try and combat this, but only about 45,000 routers, which means that a lot of people still can't access the internet. Last year, MPs wrote an open letter to the Prime Minister about the issue and are currently putting forward a bill to require the government to provide a device with internet access to all children on free school meals. But as we heard from Alessi and Paul, it's not just school kids who are affected by digital isolation, as millions of adults across the country are similarly struggling to get on with day-to-day tasks. If the only way you can buy your access into the council swimming pool or do your banking, get your milk. This is a multi-generational issue. And as you say, you know, the smartphone, internet connection, tablet, that's no longer the stuff of luxury. That's the stuff of day-to-day living. And I think we have to be really worried about everybody of every age who is excluded from that. The fear for those working to tackle digital isolation is that the spotlight the pandemic has given the issue will be shifted as life goes back to normal and the progress made will start to stall. I think everybody now knows the problem that exists. I think the recession that we will face and the levels of unemployment will make the government more acutely aware that you have to provide digital skills because the consequences for the economy are huge. You know, where are the jobs that the young people currently in the hospitality sector, where are they going to go? How are people going to reskill or how are people going to educate themselves to get a qualification that allows them to change their job, their career? It's going to be online, isn't it? So I think the pressure is there, I think, economically, educationally, socially. So we can't look away. 
What's become clear from talking to all of our guests is that digital isolation is an issue that's only likely to get worse as more and more services are moved online. Without a phone, a laptop or an internet connection, people are out of the swing of things. And it's going to make it much harder to reach the most vulnerable people in our society. The fix isn't to just give everyone a new phone, but to examine as a society what we're throwing away, to think about the value that it could have for others and how we can look after, refurbish and redistribute our tech. For every one phone being used in the UK, there are four currently sitting unused in our homes. And a lot of us might have the solution to this issue in our drawers and under beds. While the scale of this problem might make it seem overwhelming, the success in Morden shows the power that communities have when they come together to fix a problem. Whether you've got an old phone to donate, you're rallying your local community group, or you're tweeting or emailing your MP, we all have the ability to fight digital isolation and to help everyone in our community to stay connected throughout COVID and beyond. Many thanks to all of our guests, Alessi, Paul and Siobhan for speaking to us. You've been listening to Down to Earth with me, Sarah Dyfel. If you've enjoyed listening, then why not rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? We'd love to hear your thoughts and you can subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more about Community Calling, which helps to recycle old devices, then follow us on Instagram at HelloHubbub to hear more stories and updates on the campaign. And if you have a story you'd like to share about digital isolation, you can drop me an email at sarah at hubbub.org.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Community Calling is run in proud partnership with O2 who provide the funding to make this project possible, as well as 12 months of free data for every phone donated. This has been a Boom Shakalaka production. The producer of this series is Eva Krisiak. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>